Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. Prepare your hearts for the reading of God's word. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, this was he of whom the Lord said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God's only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made this man known. Amen. In the book East of Eden, John Steinbeck traces cycles of generational brokenness in this family. And his book achingly portrays the sins of the father and the mother revisiting themselves upon their children. And throughout the story, the family is locked in a feedback loop of strife and enmity, repeating the mistakes of the past. But the most powerful moment in the book, the moment that possibly offers some hope and a way forward, that there's a way out of this kind of morass and this maze of generational brokenness, is when one of the characters, sort of the, the wisest character in the book named Lee, reflects upon a Hebrew word found in the Bible. And the Bible sort of forms the foundation of this book. It's a brilliant allegory. If you ever get a chance to read it, I highly recommend it. It's one of my all-time favorites. But this word, Timshel, as Lee describes it, simply means thou mayest. And he is a friend to the family that is the main focus of the story, the Trask family. And he has seen the way that they've hurt one another. But for Lee, one word still offers a way forward, a way to break the cycle. One word offers hope. Tim Shell, thou mayest. And friends, as we gather here this morning, I simply want to ask you a question. What word do you need to hear? What word do you long to hear? What's a word for you that would change everything? Because for us, there's so many common human longings. We all long and ache to be wanted. We all long and we ache to be needed, to have a purpose. What's the word this morning that you need to hear? Courtney and I and some other friends started gathering people to begin this church about 21 months ago. And I mean, when you think about it, how do you start a church like, where does a church come from? This was often the question I would get. In a place where not a lot of new things happen, like Princeton, and they're like, you're starting a church? 
And it was funny to see just the way people, you know, sort of conceived of how these things started. They were like, I just thought churches were always there. It's because, you know, in a context like this, they kind of have been. Now, there's this whole cottage industry of church planting that will tell you how to start a church, tell you the things that you need to do, the money you need to raise, all that sort of stuff. And we've certainly tried to learn from the best practices, the ones that, you know, we find are, are germane to who we are as people. But at the end of the day, what do you really have? You've got a bunch of strategies and tactics. You've got some, some testimonies that perhaps this could work. But how do you gather a group of people? Why would people come in the first place? I mean, it's a great question. Why are you here? Thank you that you're here. I'm so glad that you are. But for us... When we thought about the how and, the, and the, the what, like that became very daunting. But for us, we had something solid to hold on to. We had a word, a word from God. Now, if you trace it back in, in the story of this church, there was not some moment where my bedroom filled with light and God spoke in his best Morgan Freeman voice and said to me, Ian, start a church. Yes, Lord, I will get right on that. And if that did happen, honestly, I slept through it. But what Courtney and I had glimpsed was God's heart. We had seen that Jesus wants every single person, without exception, that he has ever created to know his story of love for the world, to live their life immersed in the love of God, to find freedom through serving others, to find community in sharing and vulnerability, to be a part, to have a purpose, to be a part of God's project, to redeem and unite humanity under his love and lordship, and to find fullness in worship and mission. We knew that. We'd seen that unfold over the course of our lives. So how to begin to do this? Well, we, we know that the church is God's missionary strategy in the world. And then you may be thinking to yourself, if you spent any time in church, you might say to yourself, God, you should think of a better strategy. Because the thing about churches is they're all broken. Eugene Peterson says they're all full of sinners, and worse yet, they have sinners for pastors. Not this church, of course, but, you know, the other ones. And friends, as we begin our first ever vision series, I, I cannot tell you how overwhelmed I am with excitement and gratitude. Over the course of the past couple of months, God has begun to shape us into a people a people who reflect his heart in unique and beautiful ways right here in Princeton, a people called to apprentice our lives to Jesus, to be with him and to go where he goes. And as we arrive this morning, we stand on the cusp of the next season of the life of our church, a season of both dreaming, asking God what's possible here, what would it look like if Jesus were to walk the streets, but also a season of doing, because for Jesus, being formed in his way was never about getting enough information and then going out to the world. Jesus said, I'm going to send you out, and then we're going to talk about how it went. Right? And so for us, there's this, this dual uh, parallel track that we're walking of dreaming and of doing. And over the course of the next five weeks, I want to look at some of the ideas and the practices that I personally have become so integral to who I am as a pastor— and that I hope become a part of the life of our church, the things that we value, to see how they first, they form us into a people and how they inform the rhythms that we will enter into as a people. So the first thing that God does in all of the Bible
The first thing is he speaks. Simple yet profound. And as it turns out, like nuclear in its power, he speaks, he calls out, he says, let there be light, and light responds. Creation is not just this revelation of the power of God, that he can create something out of nothing with the very utterance of his word. God speaking reveals God's heart. Friends, there is so much wrapped up in the simple fact that the first thing God does is he speaks. If you read other creation stories that were written about the time that we have Genesis 1 come to us, if you read other stories from other cultures, their creation stories often involve violence and sex. They involve the gods being immersed in this world as opposed to being set apart from it. But God, hovering over the chaos, hovering over the darkness, speaks a word of power and brings the world to life. Words create worlds. And then we see more from this God as we read this Genesis text. The refrain, at the end of each day, he creates over the course of six days. And at the end of each day, he says, it is good. The world is woven with the fabric of God's blessing. Life comes into being completely by the grace and the goodness of God. Genesis 1 describes the earth as this formless and dark void, chaotic. And in the midst of this chaos, God creates light. And the biography of Jesus that Andrew read from us, uh, for us today is written by an apostle named John. And he picks up on this idea that God created the world with his word. He calls us back to that moment of primordial chaos as he describes God speaking yet again in all of his generative and gracious beauty. He writes in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all the people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not, it cannot, and it will not overcome it. John hearkens back to that original word. The word that brought the world to life. He acknowledges there's still darkness in the world. And friends, I know so many of us have experienced the pain and the loss and the disillusionment of that darkness. But the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. And then John, as he's reflecting on this creation story, announces the stunning reality that a world as profound as the one that brought the world to life has been spoken yet again. The word of God, the singularity that formed the cosmos, not only has spoken again, but has taken on skin and bones. John goes on in verse 14. He says, And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This Word that brought the world into existence now has moved, as Eugene Peterson says, into the neighborhood. The Word has flesh and bones. The Word walks in our midst, walks our streets. The word becomes flesh. The light shines in the darkness. A new creation breaks out right in the middle of this one. And look at what it says in verse 18 of John 1, if you're following along. John writes, No one has ever seen God. It is God, 
the only son who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Have we heard God speak? Now think about this. Like, if God were to say something to you, if he were to show up in your life and say something to you, what would he have to say? What would his voice sound like? Well, according to John 1, verse 18, it sounds like Jesus. Jesus is what God has to say to the world. Jesus is God's new, let there be light. His announcement that the light will always overcome the darkness. Jesus tells us what God's voice sounds like. And as we see in John 1, verse 14, it's not just what Jesus says, not just the things that he teaches, not just the things that he imparts, but everything that he does that is revealing God's heart. Friends, we as a people have spent our whole existence seeking this answer. What does God look like and what does he want from us? And what John is saying is that in Jesus, we see the fullness of it, the fullness of grace and truth. We see the fullness of God's beauty and his glory revealed to us in our time and space. Jesus, close to the Father's heart, reveals God to all the world. And here's the thing. Joanna, can you put that slide up that has the list on it? It just keeps getting better. Because the things that we see Jesus saying and doing reveal that God's heart is not enraged, not distant, not judgmental. His heart for us, friends, is kind. His heart for us. And as you read the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see this word of God comforting the afflicted, healing the sick, honoring the poor, feeding them, bringing the outcast to the table, sharing a table with his friends. You see, Jesus wasn't always just like taking care of business. Like, there was times he was just with people. Don't miss the significance of that. Jesus tells beautiful and imaginative stories. There once was a father who had two sons. One of his sons said to him, Father, give me my share of the estate. Jesus tells stories of what the kingdom of God looks like. He challenges the complacency of those who think that their religious expression is enough, that they don't need God to come and speak a fresh word. And Jesus confronts injustice. You have turned my house into a den of robbers. It just keeps getting better as the word takes on flesh, as we see the things that Jesus does. We see the very heart of God. We see what God looks like. And then Jesus speaks again. He speaks new words into life. He says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. And John, he says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And ultimately, on the cross, Jesus reveals the depths of the heart of God for us. That God would go to the uttermost bounds, that he would empty himself completely in order to embrace the entire world. From the cross, he still speaks his word-creating, world-creating words. He says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they are doing. And finally, with the last breath that he has to breathe, the one who began it all says completely, once and for all, it is finished. And three days later, Jesus, the word of God that spoke the world into being, speaks again. He says, peace. I am alive again forevermore. This is what heaven has to say to earth yet again and for all of eternity. Peace. God recreating the world 
through the word which spoken into being in the very beginning. Words create worlds, my friends. The word of God brings the world to life. Jesus is what God has to say to the world. And what we see is not only the heart of God, not only the heart of God unveiled to us. You know, when you speak, when you tell somebody something, you're revealing a part of your interior to them. You're you're putting some existence to the thing that you feel inside, right? And so Jesus could have come just speaking. He could have come just telling us stuff. But he not only reveals God's heart, he shows us his power to speak a new word, his power to transform, his power to speak even on the other side of the grave. And friends, for us, and this is where this meets us so beautifully today, his power to bring hope. Jesus reveals God's heart his heart for us, his heart for us, friends. And this has become a phrase that is like soaring around our church and I love it so much. Courtney voiced it so beautifully for us when she taught a couple weeks back. But God's heart is kind. His heart is for you. Jesus reveals God fully and he dismantles our sin. He brings healing, forgiveness, and new creation. This is the gospel message that Jesus is king over all the world and we are invited to live in his fullness knowing that we are loved infinitely. As John 1 verse 12 says, to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. That's not just some, that's not just everybody else, to all who received him. Anybody who says, I need that, Jesus is saying, daughter, son. And here we glimpse that God's beautiful word not only reveals his heart, but it is capable of accomplishing his will. It can bring about that which he wants. Now, I could say to you all, I want you all to have a million dollars. That's just the kind of guy I am. I just love you that much, right? That may be my heart for you, But my word is completely incapable of bringing that about, right? Now, I could do that for like four or five of you, but (laughs) do not come and ask me for money afterward. God's heart is revealed, yes and amen. But also, his power to accomplish that which he wills is revealed. Isaiah says that his word will not return void. That what it speaks, that what it promises, that what it wants to happen will come to be. And what we see in John is that he wants all people to come to know him. God's heart and his power to transform are one and the same. As God speaks, he lets us know what it looks like when the world functions as it should. But he also, with every speech of God, is a promise that he can bring it about. The Apostle Paul in Romans 1 verse 16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who has faith. Don't miss this language, friends. Everyone, all. This is God's heart. And later he tells the Roman church where faith comes from. He says says to them, So faith comes through what is heard, and what is heard comes through the word of Jesus Christ. This word is power. And what's his word to us? But the stories about what Jesus has done. Whether you're reading the Bible, and you're seeing the stories of what God has lived out in the past, or whether you're reflecting on what God has done in your own life, this word has come to you, and it is a testimony 
a witness to what God has done in the world. And so friends, here's where all of this converges because I know we're like super high level right now. Like these are beautiful promises. But how does that have to do with, with how we live this out as the church, Ecclesia, right here in this moment in Princeton, New Jersey? How does a church come from nowhere? The same word that calls us into being, the same word that spoke your life into existence, calls us out here right in this place. Ecclesia literally means the called out ones, called to be the body of Jesus, to speak the word, the, way, the word of God the way that Jesus does, proclaiming the heart of God, living it out, putting flesh and blood on these words, and exercising the faith that when we do this, God will transform hearts, neighborhoods, cities, and nations. And so friends, as we begin this vision series, I want the one word that we have to speak to the world to be this, this beautiful gospel of Jesus. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that the one who was crucified and is resurrected has smashed all sin and death here now and forevermore. That he has eradicated all of their symptoms. That out of the nations of all the earth, he's creating a people unified. His children who will know and love him and live by faith in the power of his spirit. Friends, our church, as we stand and we look towards what's to come, will be built just as Jesus said it would to Peter on his confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. To begin with, we put all of our hope in the gospel of Jesus that it is trustworthy to reveal God's heart and it's trustworthy to accomplish God's heart for us, to save us, to heal us, to bring us to the fullness of life. One story as we bring this home. In John chapter 6, if you're following along, you turn over there with us. John chapter 6. Jesus has withdrawn to a mountain from the city center. Jesus, by this point, has achieved this pretty brilliant reputation as a healer and, and a teacher. And so wherever he goes, there's these huge crowds that are following him along, at least to this point. And verse 2 begins. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. And Jesus went up to the mountain and sat down with his disciples. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, one of his disciples, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, which is kind of mean, but kind of awesome. For he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon P Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, friends, there's a couple of things that are going on here that are so incredibly beautiful. Jesus asks us the question that he completely intends to answer with his own provision and power. You ever have that where you ask a question you totally know the answer to? You're like, hey, you ever try to set people up so you can look smart? Jesus is not counting on the disciples to come up with a way to feed the people. He's going to do it, but he won't do it without them. And he wants to show them that his heart, his heart is actually to feed all of these people. His heart is for these people. His heart is for provision and abundance to take care of them. And so he asked 
Philip the question. Now, we've all been in the place Andrew's in. Like you're in a team, maybe you do this at work where you're trying to come up with a solution and you know, somebody says, okay, brainstorming people, there's no bad ideas here. And there's like 5,000 people here. And Jesus is like, where are we going to get food to feed all these people? And Andrew, hey, there, there's like a, there's a guy with some fish. In the like even Peter's shaking his head at this point. Like, but Andrew gives voice to something. And though he may have felt a little bit like, oh, what did I say? The words escape his mouth before he even realizes that, you know, a couple pieces of bread and a couple pieces of fish aren't going to feed 5,000 people. Jesus is like, hmm, there's an idea. There's something that we can work with. And here's the thing, Ecclesia. If it's just about us, if it's about our ideas, our strategies, our skill, our resources, or what we have to offer, then yeah. Any sort of significant impact we can have is going to crash and burn. But if we're willing, even to look foolish and dreaming with Jesus, to behold his heart and trust his power, to put faith in his word, look what can happen. John tells us, Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish. And everyone ate as much as they could want. Friends, in our hands we have scraps. Not even enough for us. But in the hands of Jesus, we have a feast for the entire world. Ecclesia, we are a loaves and fishes people. This is God's heart for us. So together this morning, as we begin to dream, as we enter into the season of dreaming about the vision that God has given this church, I want to invite you just simply to trust that this word is big enough. This word is big enough to place our scraps and our loaves and our fish of belief, our best intentions to help others, our best strategies to bring freedom and life to those around us. If we will continually bring our small offerings and place them in the hands of Jesus, we will see that his kingdom is a place of abundance, of joy, of miracles, and we are going to see God do incredible things in our midst. Let us pray. Jesus, your word brings the world to life. God, it moves us beyond what we might think is possible. It moves us and it redeems our imaginations. God, this world will tell us that this is a place of scarcity, of conflict, of anxiety. But Jesus, your word awakens us to a new world, a new world that is breaking forth right in the midst of this one. So God, would you help us to be faithful dreamers? God, to be faithful people who say, yes, we may have a little. God, but in your hands, we are becoming the kind of people that will look after and take care of everything that you have represented your heart to be. God, would you help us to see that our sacrifices, the things that you've called us to, are not the way of self-pity. God, not the way of, of restraint, God, but they are the way of freedom. So Jesus, we ask that your heart would be continually made known in this space. God, we ask that you would show us your love for us. 
It's in your name we pray, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.